0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Morning scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now... I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Well, hey everybody, my name's Bob, and I get the privilege of preaching the Bible here at Um You guys are going to have to learn to sit a little closer together, I guess. We've got people out in the atrium. Hey guys, how you guys doing out there? Good to see you all. Uh, it's all good. We can all fit, um, even if we've got to put up chairs out there. I'm glad you're here this morning, um, and uh, it's a privilege to open the word of God together, to worship God together, to consider what God has to say to us in his word together. Uh, I don't know what brings you here. I don't know why you're here. Could be many different reasons. Let me tell you why I'm here, uh, why I uh, love being here. Um, I'm here because I want you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to decide that Jesus is worth giving your entire life to. That half-hearted, mediocre Christianity just is not really worth it. I want you to decide that you should give yourself over fully and completely to the Lord Jesus. That's, that's why I am committed to the work that I do. And for each of us, that kind of discipleship requires a willful decision. It's not something someone else can do for you. And in order to make a decision like that, in order to make a decision that really transforms your whole life you'd first of all want to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he teaches and what it means to be his follower. And that's why the Gospel of John exists. John the Apostle was one of Jesus' early disciples, and he wrote this account of the life and teaching of Jesus so that other people could know the things that Jesus said and could consider following him as well. And so whether you are currently a follower of Jesus or whether you are just investigating what it would mean for you to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Either way, wherever you find yourself, the Gospel of John is a great place to learn who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, and what it means for us to be his followers. Now, this morning we come to John chapter 14, which is part of the farewell discourse. Jesus' last words to his disciples. And in this text, Jesus puts before us one of the non-negotiables of discipleship. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says plainly, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how you know who truly loves Jesus. Now, apart from the challenge of those words and all the other things around the text that we need to explore, just think about that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't it true that all the hypocrites and frauds and phony Christians you've known, if you really think about it, are people who don't actually do what Jesus said. And isn't it true that all the people who seemed to you like genuine Christians, people whose spiritual life you respect, isn't it true that those tend to be people doing their best to actually do the things Jesus says? Now, they may fall short of their own ideals. They may be aware of their own weakness, but their desire is to actually obey Christ. The heart of discipleship is obedience. And so I'm so excited that we get to talk about this topic this morning because we get to consider a theme that is woefully underemphasized all around us. We live in a world that just doesn't really have a category for obedience. Uh, Children are not expected to obey their parents. Students are not expected to obey teachers. Employees are not expected to obey their employers. Citizens are not really expected to obey laws. I mean, this is just sort of an unheeded exhortation, right? In fact, if you're a parent, if you've ever been in that situation where you're out in public and you tell your kids something, you give them a command and they obey, people are like, man, your kids are amazing. (laughs) You're just like... No, they just actually obey. Like, that's what's weird is that I said something and they actually obeyed because no one actually expects that to really happen in the world anymore. And in the church, our understanding of Christian obedience is confused as well. Most of us have never heard a proper sermon on this topic. You've heard two kinds of sermons about obedience. The first one sounds like this, obey God so that he will love you more. And the second one sounds like this, it's okay, God loves you anyway, so you don't really have to obey him. Neither of those is a proper biblical perspective on obedience. And so as a result, many Christians don't understand the connection between obedience and love, obedience and grace, obedience and the gospel. So that's our aim this morning, is to understand how these two things tie together, the connection between obedience And grace and love and the gospel. So let's explore that connection as we listen to the words of our humble Savior Jesus. If you are following along, uh, page 847 in the Black Bible that you'll find under your seat. Um, Some of you may have this little scripture journal that we've been handing out. If you're newer to the church and you'd like a copy of this to follow along, would you just come see me up front afterwards? I'd love to give you one. It's just a little uh, journal that has the text of the Gospel of John in it and some space for uh, journaling, writing notes writing down sermon outlines if you happen to be preaching on John, for instance. So page 88 in the scripture journal, this text shows us three things. Why you must obey Christ, why you don't obey Christ, and what to do about it. So that's the sermon outline this morning. Why you must obey Christ, why you don't obey Christ, and what to do about it. So let's begin with this question, or with this Uh, observation, why you must obey Christ. The first reason you must obey Christ is because Christ is Lord. Just, Just survey the things that Jesus claims in this passage, John 14, verses 12 through 31. In verse 14, Jesus claims that he has the authority to answer prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, he says. In verse 16, he claims to have the authority to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth. In verse 24, he claims to speak on behalf of God. The word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In verse 26, he claims that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name, that is, on my behalf, with my authority. In verse 27, Jesus claims to be able to give peace. He says, My peace I give to you. These are bold and ridiculous claims. The one thing you can't say about Jesus is that he's just a normal religious leader and teacher like everyone else. He doesn't leave that option open to us. He's claiming things about himself, he's claiming to have the ability to do things that say clearly that he is Lord and God. Here's the way C.S. Lewis put it in a famous quote from Mere Christianity that perhaps you've encountered before. Lewis wrote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic On a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. You must obey Christ because Christ is Lord. The simplest summary of the Christian faith in the early church was simply those three words. Jesus is Lord. The Apostle Paul sums up his entire message this way in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the Christian faith. Jesus is Lord. Now, to say that Jesus is Lord means that he is the rightful ruler, the rightful authority over our lives and over the world. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he has authority over us. He rules over us. We owe him a debt of servanthood and worship. John Frame says this, The lordship of Jesus is absolutely fundamental to the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament. God's lordship confronts and opposes autonomy from the outset. It demands our recognition that all things belong to him and are subject to his control and authority. You must obey Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, that in everything he might be preeminent. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." That's the first thing this text shows us is that you must obey Christ because Christ is Lord. Every human being has a responsibility to obey, to serve, to worship, and to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. But second, this text shows us you must obey Christ, not just because he is Lord, but also because obedience is love. Look at verse well, look at these four verses. They're all on the screen together. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You can't say that you love Christ if you do not Obey him. Obedience is love. This is important for us to remember because we have turned love into a feeling. And so we think we love Christ if we feel certain things about him. Jesus says, no, no, you love me if you obey what I command. A few years ago, I was flying somewhere. I don't remember where. And I sat next to a guy on the plane who was from Africa. Uh, He had an accent that clearly indicated he was from the African continent and he struck up a conversation. He was a really friendly guy and uh, seemed really kind and generous. And so uh, we had that five or 10 minute airplane conversation that you have, you know, until he finally got to the question, so what do you do for a living? Which I'm sure is a fine conversation for you because you're a lawyer or a salesman or a contractor. That conversation for me is where the conversation immediately gets awkward. Because as soon as I say I'm a pastor, you, it's about 30 seconds till the headphones go on, right? <laughs> like that's the end of the conversation. So um, in fact, I have, have started doing this thing. This happens enough to me, especially when I'm traveling, that I've started uh, trying to figure out all the other things I can say besides pastor. So like a few, a few flights ago, I tried out, uh, I do a lot of marriage counseling. Uh, a flight before that, I tried out, I work in the nonprofit sector. Um, I just say whatever I can that's sort of true but not exactly true, so that I can sort of keep the conversation going. The funniest thing that's happened, I was flying back from Portland, and I was sitting next to this woman who was a hemp farmer. And I had used the like I work in the nonprofit sector thing, and she had just taken that, and then I'd ask her, what do you do? And she said, I'm a farmer. And I said, what do you farm? And she said, marijuana. So then we had about a 30 minute conversation about marijuana farming and then she goes back and follows up and says, like, so what kind of nonprofit do you work for? <laughs> and then we got into that spot where I was like, well, I didn't have anything to say. I hadn't anticipated that. So I was like, well, actually I'm a pastor of a church. And she was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so anyway on this flight, I'm sitting next to this African gentleman. He asked me, so what do you do for a living? I didn't have a good alternative answer in mind. And so I said, "Uh, actually, I'm a pastor of a church. And he said, oh, that's so great. I love the Lord myself. And I, I just, I thought for a minute about how different that is from what most Americans would say. We would say something like, oh, I go to church Or even maybe, oh, I believe in God. This joyful brother's confession was, oh, I love the Lord myself. I wonder if we're more comfortable saying things like, I believe in Christ, or I attend a church, because deep down we feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is love. So look, you must obey Christ because Christ is Lord and because obedience is love. Let's look now at why you don't obey Christ. The answer is right there in the text in verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The reason you don't obey Christ is because you don't love Christ. And listen, you need to hear this on two levels. This is true in two different ways. On the one hand, there are many people in the world who simply do not love Christ. They have not come to him in faith. They have not had their hearts changed by his grace. They are not Christians. They do not love him. And so, of course, they do not keep his commandments. And when Jesus speaks of the world, these are the people he's talking about. The vast majority of people who do not believe him, and do not follow him. So, of course, those who do not love Christ do not keep his words. But remember, in this conversation, he's talking specifically to the disciples. There are only 11 people in the room. He's talking to 11 disciples who have left everything to follow him, who do believe his word, and he's saying to them, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, obedience to Christ is rooted in love for Christ. And therefore, all of our failures of obedience are failures of love. I mean, this isn't the only time Jesus makes this connection. This is characteristic of Jesus' teaching. Remember that famous passage in the Gospel of Matthew where a lawyer asks Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying is every command God has given is summed up in these two and hangs on these two. Love God, love neighbor. All obedience to God comes down to love. And here's what that means. It means that in your life, If every moment of every day you were loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, if that were true at every moment, then you'd never break any of the other commandments. Every sin you commit is ultimately a failure to love God. And not only every sin, all the places of cowardice and fear in your life, every place where you're afraid to stand up for what's right, is a place where you don't love God as you should. All the places of foolishness and immaturity in your life, every place where you've failed to cultivate wisdom and temperance is a place where you don't love God as you should. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. If you are not keeping Jesus' words, you do not love him as you should. The biggest problem in your life The biggest problem in my life is our lack of love for God. Behind every other sin and every other struggle you have, and there are many, behind them all is a failure to love, a weakness of love. The thing you need more than anything else is a deeper, fuller, more vibrant love for Christ. So Jesus is saying to his disciples two things. One, you must obey Christ. And two, the reason you don't is because you don't love him as you should. All your failures of obedience are failures of love. So what should you do about it? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. So simple it's not going to shock you at all when I say it. But we're going to build it out for a few minutes. What should you do about your failure to love God as you should? Well, you should repent and believe. Repentance and faith, that's the answer. To repent means to acknowledge your failure to obey Christ and your failure to love Christ. It's okay to be honest, friends. You don't love God as you ought. And God already knows that about you. So you might as well admit it to yourself to him, and to one another. This past week, I was sitting in my office here at the church building, uh, talking with an old friend who's in a bad spot. Uh, He's dealing with some addiction, some depression, some spiritual disillusionment, and relational turmoil. He asked if he could meet with me to get some counsel. So I was trying to just listen, and also trying to discern where the Spirit of God might want me to nudge a bit. And I pressed into a couple places in our conversation that frustrated him and made him defensive. And so he became angry and raised his voice and said some sharp words. And I said some sharp words back, which only worsened the situation, obviously. And in that moment, he got up out of his chair, walked out of my office and left the building. And so I sat back in my chair and thought, what an amazing moment of pastoral success, (laughs) right? I mean, when you are so helpful to people that they just get up and leave, that is shepherding at its finest. <laughs> I should write a book, right? And because I had been meditating on this passage, this, these words of Jesus were fresh in my mind, and I just had to acknowledge in that moment, I failed to love that gentleman as well as I could because I had failed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. What was going on horizontally The reactivity, the defensiveness, the sharp words were the things I was responding to rather than responding out of love for Christ. So I repented first to the Lord for the weakness of my love for him and then to my friend or to his voicemail more accurately since he didn't answer when I called five minutes later for my lack of gentleness toward him. Okay, That's just an average story From an average week, it's not a dramatic story. Something like that happens regularly now, not that exact thing. Sometimes I'm helpful when I sit and talk with people. But those are the kinds of things that are real in my life. And in your week, just like me, you likewise have failed to love God as you should. It's okay. You can admit it. That's what repentance is. And the reason it's okay to be honest about your lack of love is because of the good news of the gospel. It's right here in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In order to understand what good news this is, that Jesus is speaking, you've got to understand how this promise Jesus is making, the promise to send the Holy Spirit, is an upgrade from the previous operating system, okay? So let's dial back the clock in our biblical theology. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord was given to specific people for specific purposes. So for instance, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, says the book of 1 Samuel. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, says the prophet Ezekiel. Specific kings, specific prophets, specific rulers and leaders of God's people received the Spirit of the Lord in distinct moments for specific tasks. That's how the Spirit of the Lord functions in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament prophets, also speak of a coming servant of the Lord who will come in the future and upon whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest and remain in a pronounced way. This is all throughout the prophetic literature. One of the most famous that we come back to every Christmas is in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where Isaiah says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And with this servant, said the prophets, would come a day when God would pour out his spirit liberally on every one of his people, not just on specific leaders and rulers for specific tasks, but on everyone. The prophet Joel says this, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Jesus is saying to his disciples, that promise that the prophet Joel made, I'm about to fulfill. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Jesus is the long-awaited, much-anticipated servant of the Lord. Jesus is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. The Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, and in Jesus' death and resurrection, that day has come that the prophet spoke of, when God will pour out his Spirit on everyone. Listen to how Herman Boving says it. By his resurrection and ascension... Christ is now in possession of the Spirit in his fullness. The Spirit of God the Father has become the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit who proceeds from Father and Son. On the basis of his perfect obedience, Christ obtained full and free command over the Holy Spirit and over all the gifts and powers of that Spirit. He can now share it with whom he will and in the measure that he will in the Spirit And through the Spirit, Christ gives of himself and of his benefits to the church. Don't miss that last phrase. In the Spirit and through the Spirit, Christ gives of himself and of his benefits to the church. How do you get more of Christ? How do you get more of his benefits? Through the Holy Spirit. See, friends, the good news is not merely that Jesus has died for your sin. The good news is that in his death and resurrection, Jesus has obtained full and free command over the Holy Spirit. He has received the anointing of the Spirit, and now he shares and gives the Holy Spirit with his people and to his people. Go back to the text of John 14 and notice how the theme of obedience is woven together with the theme of the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth. Verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you see the connection? As we try to obey Christ and fall short, that should drive us to Christ to seek more of the Holy Spirit's grace and power. And as we experience through repentance and faith more of the Spirit's grace and power, it helps us to love God and obey his commands. Your lack of love helps you see your need for the Holy Spirit, And your dependence on the Holy Spirit helps you love and obey. These things work together. Why does Jesus say in this discourse to his disciples, hey, if you love me, you will obey me. And don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Because it's our lack of love, our lack of obedience, that shows us our need for dependence. And it's our dependence and reliance on the Holy Spirit that enables our obedience. Here's how St. Augustine said it. Without the Holy Spirit, we can neither love Christ nor keep His commandments. The less experience we have of the Spirit's presence, the less we can do. While the fuller our experience of the Spirit is, the greater is our ability. And so this is no empty promise of Jesus. The promise is made to the one who does not have the Spirit that he may have Him, and it is made to the one who does have the Spirit. So that he may have him more abundantly. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey his commands. And it's only in seeking to obey his commands that we really experience communion, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Do you know why many of us have a shallow experience of the Holy Spirit? because we're not really zealous about obedience. Or the limits we have for our obedience are the limits of our own capacity. I'll obey God as long as I can kind of muster it up in my own strength, but when I get to the place where it feels like that's not working, I got no other resources. Jesus says, no, no, the good news is you have an entirely new power. You have the Spirit of God that I've given to you so that you might obey. When we actually seek to obey Christ and fail, we realize our absolute need for the Holy Spirit's presence and power. So here's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You must obey Christ. He is Lord, and obedience is what it means to love. You must obey Christ. And you'll never do it without the Holy Spirit. You'll never do it without the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And because I know the weakness of your love, I'm sending the Holy Spirit upon you. So all of our failures of obedience are ultimately failures of love. And the weakness of our love is meant to show us our need for the Holy Spirit and push us to reliance on the Spirit of God. Friends, how would your life be different if instead of just saying, when you sin, fail to obey, realize your lack of love, instead of just realizing in those moments that Christ died for you and forgives you, what if in those moments you also leaned into the precious promise and grace of the Holy Spirit? What if all of your weakness of love and obedience were actually opportunities to meet Christ and to experience more of his grace and power flowing into your life as you rest in this promise and recognize your deep and abiding need for the presence of the Holy Spirit and for his grace and power in your life? Let's pray to that end together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this precious promise that upon your resurrection, you would send, you would ask the Father and he would send in your name the Spirit of Truth, the Helper. We acknowledge the weakness of our love for you. We acknowledge our failures in obedience. And we also acknowledge that these are meant to push us independence and reliance to you in repentance and faith to admit the weakness of our love and to rest and trust again in your presence and power through the Holy Spirit. So God, this morning, would you show us in our own lives the gaps, the weakness, the failures of our love? Show us all the places where our love for you is weak. And would you meet us again this morning in the grace of this promise? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your presence and power. Would you help us to learn to commune with you, to rely on you, to seek you, to rest in your power and presence? Thank you, Jesus, that you have not left us alone, but that you have given us the precious promise of the Holy Spirit this morning. Reassure our hearts in that good news and help us walk out of here encouraged for all the grace that you have shown to us, and all the ways you want to move through us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.